Hi guys, it's Tony Robbins. You're listening to Habits and Hustle. Crush it. Today we have Nick Taranto on Habits and Hustle. Uh, he is a serial entrepreneur who is also uh, an ultra marathon or an Ironman guy. He created he's, a, he's created Plated and sold it to Albertson for what over a hundred million dollars or how much did you sell it for? Around there, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a bit, a bit, a bit, like a bit of change, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> something like that. And uh, your new project is something called uh, Hop Water. That's your new product, and. Um, you have very interesting stories and I want to just kind of like deep dive right in. So without further ado, yeah, let's do it. I'm I'm excited to be here. Good, good to chat with you today. I wish, I wish we were on the treadmills, but we'll, we'll do that one part too. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Don't worry. You you don't have to like tell me twice. I, this is my favorite. This is my best friend right behind me, this, this treadmill. So, um, I love love running also. I, I kind of feel like I'm like a female Forrest Gump. I mean, I just, (laughs) I just go and go. So, um, and my knees will prove it because I have like, my knees are all like screwed up now. But, um, so what, so, so, so tell me the story. So when you were younger, you just decided you wanted to run and you just ran and ran and and ran 82 miles one day or what what happened? I mean, essentially that's what happened. I mean, the longer story is that, um, you know, when I was in my late teens, I, I I wound up like battling with depression. I was just like having a tough time seeing the positive side of life. And I'm generally like a very positive person. I think you'll gather that from this phone call. Yeah. And I always was growing up. And then um, you know, my parents got divorced and some other stuff happened in my life. And freshman year in college, I just was in this deep, dark place. And the only thing that made me feel better were like substances, but also running. And I quickly realized like substances are not a good way to, you know, long term get to a sustainable, healthy place. And I started running, like I'd run a little bit in high school, you know, like three or four miles. Um, so I started running three miles around this this pond outside my dorm. I went to, to, to Dartmouth in New Hampshire. So, you know, middle of January, you know, started running three, four miles, like dressed head to toe in fleece because it was, you know, like negative 10 degrees outside. And that helped. but you know, then I found myself needing eight miles, 10 miles to feel better. And I found the longer I ran, the better I felt. And, you know, over the course of my winter and spring, that led to me, you know, going out and running 20, 30 miles um, at a time, just by myself in, 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 in the hills and mountains of New Hampshire. And then I, I got this crazy idea, like, look, there are these 100 mile races that exist out there. Um you know, why, why don't I try to be the, the, the youngest person ever to, to complete one of these things? Uh, so I'm 18, I start training for a 100 mile ultra marathon, and I uh, signed up for the Vermont 100. And, um, you know, I learned a lot of lessons because I didn't really have a good strategy or training plan. I would literally like fill up a backpack with, with, with whatever food I could find, you know, most oftentimes like cookies and, and nuts. And then I'd go run like 40, 50, 60 miles through the mountains. Like I just start sometimes at midnight and I'd run until 5 p.m. the next day. I'd just go, you know, like run up and down mountains, like run the equivalent of like a Mount Everest and 50 or 60 miles. You know, these are, you know, New Hampshire mountains aren't like, you know, the Himalaya or, or the Rockies or even the Sierras in California. But like, you know, you can do like three, 4,000 foot peaks. So I, I run through like the presidential range, Mount Washington's the biggest, biggest mountain in New Hampshire. And, um, 
you know, eventually got, got to the Vermont 100 and, uh, you, know, you start at about 5 a.m. and I you know, did the first marathon was done by, by the time the sun was coming up and then second marathon was done around lunch, third marathon done as the sun started setting. And, uh, you know, I got, I got to the mile 80 mark and, um, I just started hallucinating like crazy. I thought I had turned into a giant walking, talking Mr. Potato Head. I I just run way too far, um, and my body and mind oh weren't ready for it. So I looked down at my my arms, and I had these white, st- you know, stocky looking arms and these big brown gloves. And at this point, you know, it's the middle of July in in Vermont. I wasn't wearing anything on my hands or arms. I looked down, and my legs were these stalks, and my body was a giant potato. And um, I don't know, this probably only lasted, you know, 30 to 90 seconds or something. When I popped out of it, I was like, whoa, <laughs> this has gone a bit too far. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. So that's kind of a crazy. OK, first of all, they I mean, I, I've heard that a lot. And I, I'm a thing is like so running or in general exercise. I'm a big believer. That's like the best thing you can do for your mental health in terms of um, really kind of shifting uh, your your mood, maybe you know, changing the serotonin levels, and so that's kind of like I feel like a natural antidepressant, basically. Totally. Right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, are you are you familiar with uh, the idea of hormetic stress? No, tell me. So, like you know, in life, there's there's there, we're we're all going to have stress at some point, right? Um, and hormetic stress is this idea that there's actually some good stress. Not all stress is bad. And this process of hormesis mm. is actually your body and your mind, and even down to a cellular cellular level, um, you know everything that 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 your being is reacting positively to stress. So that's why high intensity interval training is good. Mm. That's why you know running long distances makes you feel good. It's your body reacting positively to hormetic stress. So obviously, you don't want too much of, of, of anything in life, but this, you know, having some, uh, hormetic stress regularly is a very, very, is about like the, the best possible thing you can do for yourself. Yeah. I never heard the, I never heard it be uh, called hormetic stress, but I, I'm a big believer in what you just said. However, you know, what I've noticed, cause I, I'm very much into high intensity, you know, hit training and running and, you know, the, like, as you were saying, sometimes, and I'm an extreme personality as well, like that, that too much of anything is a bad thing because, you know, you can also get adrenal failure and like your body is like totally. too overstressed, you know what I mean? And like, it shuts down basically, right? Or you don't get the same, you know, you don't get the same highs, you just get fatigued and actually depressed by the, op- by the you know, the opposite. Totally. You know? I mean, and when I when I uh, trained for my uh, uh, first Ironman, maybe my only Ironman, I don't know if I'll go do that crazy thing again. <laughs> I got really disciplined about, um, you know, looking at my training stress and how much stress I was putting my body under. Um, and, you know, they're, they're really good uh, tools and technology out there for measuring training stress now. Um, so just getting really dialed into exactly how much stress you're putting on your body and then making sure you've got good recovery. Uh, so that your body and your and your brain can can bounce back is super super important, especially when you're when you're pushing that hard. Absolutely. So, what were you doing? What were you using to kind of uh, see your stress level in your body? What was was it like a particular 
app or what kind of technique is that? Yeah, I I um I I worked out with a Garmin watch oh. with a Forerunner 735, and then I uh, I used a program called Training Peaks, mm. which is very like triathlon specific, um, and it essentially like measures your heart rate, and then um, triangulates that based off of like all the data that that you've been injected into the system over over all your training, and it tells you you know, here's, here's where you are in terms of your stress level, how much stress you've built up recommends, you know, how much time you should, you should take off, um, and shows you, you know, like after you've had a big day, like if you go ride, you know, a hundred miles and then run 20 miles, which, you know, you, you do when you're, when you're, when you're doing Ironman days, your, your, your training stress will be way off the charts. And then, you know, okay, I need to take it easy for, for a couple of days, you know, maybe just do a light swim or some yoga, Otherwise, there's real risk of, of injury. So it's a, it's a really good way just to make sure that you don't get injured. Wow, I like that. Um, are you still an, like, are you still kind of an extremist when it comes to workouts? And, you know, you're not doing any more Ironmans, but you're still doing ultra marathons or? You know, I'm, I'm more of just like an extreme dad these days. <laughs> um, Aren't we all? Or like, or I would say not just dad, but, you know, extreme mom dad what at home covid person totally i mean what, what i realized is like you know if, if you're talking about doing these ultra endurance things it's just a lot of time you know it's Ugh. like 15 20 hours a week uh just training it doesn't even that doesn't even include like making sure you've got oil on your chain on on the bike and massage and foam rolling and all that stuff um, so I, I, I came to the realization, like, look, like I, I, my kids are amazing. I've got a six year old and a four year old. I want to be a super present dad for them. Um, and I, I also love building businesses. Um, and you know, at some point something has to give, right. There, there are only 24 hours in a day. And I've also realized like I need eight hours of sleep. I'm not one of those people that can run on, you know, six or even seven. I really need eight. So you got 16 operating hours in the day. Um, you, you know, just have to prioritize what, what goes into your pie, you know? Absolutely. I'm glad that you said that because I have a lot of people who I speak to and even some friends of mine who are extreme athletes. They do ultra marathons, they do, they do the Ironman and they have three kids at home, four kids at home. And I never, because if you, if you do the math, right, to train for uh, an ultra marathon, to train for a hundred, a hundred mile race or whatever it is, the amount of hours it takes out of your day just to mm -hmm. do that training without the recovery, like you were saying, without doing your, an, a job, if you have like some kind of other thing you're doing, a parent, a husband, it's like, it, in a way, it kind of sounds, and I'm going to probably get a, you know, scrutinized for this, but it's a kind of like selfish thing to do when you actually oh, absolutely. have fa a family because you're spending eight, nine hours a day by yourself. Truthfully, if you're, if you're running, you're running by yourself, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Just doing what, you know, your own thing. I never understood. Like it's one thing when you're doing when you're 18, 19, a single guy without a family, kids, but it's a super difficult thing to do unless you're getting paid for it as a career, I guess. Right. Just to right. do it, you or, know? Or if you're in a place where you want, you know, you can you can financially take a year off and say, I'm going to prioritize right. this from nine to five or, or whatever the case may be. But yeah, yeah I mean, absolutely. I don't know how people work, work a full-time job, have kids and, you know, do ultra endurance training. It just doesn't really compute for me. Unless you're one of those people that really only needs, you know, four hours of sleep. And they do exist, but I think they're, 
they're few and far between who, who really can function that way. I think most of us really do need, you know, seven, eight, nine hours of sleep. Oh, absolutely. I agree. But it sounds to me you're pretty convicted in general. Like you're convicted. How you do one thing in life is tip, usually how you do everything else in life is a, as a generality, I know, but it seems to be a true generality most of the time. Um, you were like, were com- you were very much, you were committed and convicted of being a, a, to, to run. So you ran until you, you know, 82 miles and you kept on doing that. Um, you did that thing. I also read something about uh, in 2004, the, tu- the whole tsunami thing and you like then raised all this money and then gave it to a guy and then he of course <laughs> stole it. <laughs> Can you just, like, it seems like you, when you have an idea of what you want to do, you kind of, um, you set for, you set for it to actually do that. What is, what's that quality called? Is it just conviction? Well, I think, I think it comes down to uh, risk, right? And this idea, like to, to my mind, um, you know, the, the, the bigger risk, the bigger thing that I'm scared of is, you know, waking up when I'm 80 and mm-hmm. saying, oh man, I, you know, woulda, coulda, shoulda, I, I wish I had, right? So to, to my mind, you know, I've, I've, I've raised, well, first, I'm very lucky. I was born into a family with, with parents who love me and were there to support me and they prioritize education for me, right? And I wasn't born independently wealthy by any stretch of the imagination, but between going to school, going to the best possible schools I could, and then you know taking big risk and, and selling a business at a, at a relatively young age, been able to you know continually raise the the safety net over over the years, right? And, and this idea of like when you're 18, you can take pretty huge risks because if you if you fail, you know all right, so what? Now you're 19, you go go do something right. else, right? And obviously, like as you get right. older and you have more responsibilities and you have kids, the the you know the 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 the, the downside of failure becomes greater, right? But I, I I from a pretty young age, I was like, okay, like if I don't take this risk now, I'm just going to regret that I that I didn't. And instead of you know spending time thinking about it, and you know probably to my detriment when I was you know in my late teens and early twenties, I did a lot more doing than thinking, right? Yeah, right. So. So like um, most of us, like most of us. Yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, um, you know, this idea of like, okay, if you have this idea that's burning a hole in your head, just figure out how to test it against reality as quickly as possible. Right. What, whether it be, uh, you know, running some crazy distance or you know, starting a, a, a microfinance nonprofit, which is what you're, what you're talking about. Um, we're starting a, a business, you know, it's like try to get out of, out of the PowerPoint and out of Excel and out of your own brain and into the real world, uh, as quickly as possible, I would say is, is, has been my general like operating principle. Was, was plate, was plated that your first, uh, company that you actually built and then sold? Uh, yes, yeah, certainly not the first one that I started. <laughs> yeah. well, I was going to say, what was the, what was the first business that you actually started? Was it the, the that thing in, when you you said it earlier? Well, the, when I, you know, I I think I've always been entrepreneurial. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't have called it that back when I was you know like in seventh grade. But like even in seventh grade, I was the kid who like after Halloween went and like asked people for their for the Halloween candy they they didn't give out, and then tried to go door to door and sell it. <laughs> 
right? You did? I love that. <laughs> and that didn't work at all, right? Like I, I literally was like posting these really bootleg signs on the telephone poles around my town with my number, That's you know, scrawled one. out. And, uh, and the police like called my parents were like, you realize your son is like trying to solicit un unregulated goods here or like, you know, <laughs> so, so that was That's the end of that, of that, of that, uh, of, of that first endeavor. But, um, I, I've always been interested in, in, you know, going and, and trying to see if I can make things work in the real world. Um, so plated was the first, you know, venture backed business we raised real money for, and that, um, then that really worked. Um, and we took that from my co-founder, Josh and me to, over a thousand employees, and we raised almost a hundred million in venture capital, and um, we sold that to Albertsons in 2017, big big grocery retailer. Uh, so we made our early investors over 20 times their money in in under five years. Uh, it was a crazy entrepreneurial rocket ship ride. Um, just an amazing experience, and you know, I learned like one or two careers worth of stuff in a very compressed period of time. Um, very stressful, you know, complex business. We were, we were shipping perishable food, Ugh. um, to consumers homes. We couldn't find anyone who would, who would do the manufacturing for us. So we had to build our own operations and, and fulfillment centers, you know, big refrigerated warehouses. Um, you know, and we were always running out of money. Uh, all, it was five years of just constantly never having enough cash on hand. Um, and as any, any entrepreneur will tell you cash is, or any business owner at all will tell you cash is king, right? So we came very close to missing payroll multiple times and just, you know, a lot of sleepless nights and a lot of stress, but, um, and not the good kind of stress. Yeah. Right? I was going to say, not that kind that you and I just talked about. The, what's it called? Hormonic, hormonic stress? Hormetic. Hormetic. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, so I mean, I tried to do, I tried a lot of things before that, though, which, you know, I, I think, you know, too few people who've, who've had, you know, entrepreneurial success talk about all the failures they had on the way. Right. right. You know, it was, I want to know more besides the, besides the Halloween candy, what else did you try before you did plated? So right out of college, um, I, I was really interested in microfinance. And I've always been very mission driven. Um, and I, I thought microfinance, this idea of giving small loans to people who, who wouldn't otherwise have access to capital was a very interesting way to you know, potentially change the world. Um, and, you know, again, in, in, instead of just reading about it purely academically, I said, this makes sense. Let's go see if we can make it work. And um, I got a government grant to move to Indonesia. And I teamed up with a with with a, a group of local guys there who'd been running their own nonprofit for for some time, and we uh, I was able to raise money back from the states, and we started um, making these very small loans. You know, the average loan we gave out was sixty eight dollars, which you know might not seem like a lot here, but for the folks we were working with, they um, you know that that was the difference between having books for their kids to, to go to school or being able to get surgery if, 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 if they'd gotten injured or, um, you know, pooling their money together and buying a brick making machine for their village. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was super rewarding, very interesting work, but had trouble scaling it. 
you know, we, we got up to a couple thousand loans and then it was just all, all my time was raising small checks from, from wealthy individuals back in the U S and, um, that's when I realized, okay, you know, I, I'm, I really like to move fast, you know, and I I just saw myself standing still almost treading water. Uh, and that's when I came back and I did, I did graduate school at Harvard. I did the Kennedy school business school joint degree, um, uh, to, to learn how to build, you know, profit driven businesses that could scale quickly. Wow. And then, so then you go to Harvard and then, then you were also, in the, then you went to the Marines basically, right? That's a whole yeah. other chapter of your life. Yeah. This is like, this is like, you're so, it's, it's like fascinating. I mean, so oh, normally people would do, they'd go to the Marines and then maybe not go to Harvard or maybe go to college, a, go to afterwards. Like what made you decide that was your path? Yeah, I mean, I, I first started thinking about serving in the military um, on 9-11. I, you know, I was born in New York. I grew up in New York. I was, I was in New York on 9-11. Um, you know, there were you know, kids from my town and from my school whose parents died in, in, in the attack. And um, yeah, that's when I first started thinking about military service. But I, you know, I was a Jewish kid growing up in the New York suburbs. Like, I literally knew no one. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're Jewish? Yeah, 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 yeah. My my uh, my dad is a Turkish Jew. No way! I thought for sure you were Italian. Uh, it, common common misperception. Yep, yeah. I mean, the name obviously got picked up like crossing the Mediterranean at some point. Um, I you know, I, I, there's this is a project that I'd love to do at some point. You know, when I'm like. 65 and, and wearing tweed, wearing exclusively tweed, <laughs> go like gallivant right. around the Mediterranean and figure out what exactly happened. But the hypothesis is, is that my family was in um, Spain or Portugal, not sure which, back in, you know, kind of forever ago. And then in the Inquisition in 1492, all the Jews got kicked out and migrated across the Mediterranean over some period of time. And at the time, the uh, you know the Ottoman Empire was basically like the only place in Europe that was taking in Jews. So that's where my family landed and was there for you know hundreds of years. And then my dad's a Turkish immigrant, so he he came came over from Istanbul. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that, oh, I that's was the, well, I'm just blown away. First of all, I did I thought you were for sure. Uh, Italian for sure, maybe Greek, but not mostly Italian. But then, how old are you? Not to be like, not to pry into your personal life, but I'm going to. How old are you? I signed up for this. We're on a podcast. You're, you're, you're right. Exactly. Um, I'm, I'm 36. You're 36. Okay. Because I mean, a, a sidebar here is me and my best friend. We started um, a breast cancer charity, and it's called Babes for Boobs. And what the charity is is we basically auction off very, very eligible, not to say you have to be Jewish at all, but why I was going to say that very eligible, um, I was gonna say Jewish there, but uh, bachelors for these dinner dates. And uh, it's all tongue in cheek. And what happens is within the on the we, we actually then give all the money to breast cancer. So all the money we raise from the bachelor auction, we go and so the big joke is, usually, I get I'm I, I know a lot of different bachelors or I know you're married, but you know, how I have no idea how long you're married. But that's why I was curious. I'm like, hmm, maybe. And then 
that's why I'm asking really more than anything, or not even asking, nine, but that's nine, why I'm nine, super curious. Nine years, nine years married, two, two great kids. But, yes, uh, no, I know. You said you have two kids and, you know, I know you're married, but I just like, that's why I was kind of, I was just kind of like prying for those reasons, but carry on. So that's what we do. We do it all for charity, <laughs> for breast cancer, and it's just a way for us to give back. But I digress. I love, love supporting a good cause. I actually do this. Um, have you ever heard of the Pan Mass Challenge? Do you, do you know that? No, but which one is that? It's this bike ride across Massachusetts every every summer. It's been going on for like forty ish years now, and I think it's now the biggest uh, like single weekend fundraiser in, in the country, if not the world. So oh. something like seven thousand people ride bikes across Massachusetts from oh, wow. um, like the Berkshires to Cape Cod, and uh, uh, you know, pre not, not two thousand nineteen because that was COVID, but the year before or not two thousand twenty was COVID. I think two thousand nineteen they raised like forty million dollars in a weekend for 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 breast cancer, and it all goes to to, to Dana Farber, not oh. just breast cancer, not just breast cancer, mostly kids' cancer. Um, but it's a it's a great 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 what, ride. What is what is the name of that? Because I will actually, I'd love to learn more yeah, about it. It's an it. amazing organization. It's called the Pan Mass Challenge. My okay. brothers and Thank I. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's another digression. Um, but I, I've got three adopted siblings, and um, their their mom died of breast cancer. So we've been doing this ride together for um, oh, like fifteen years now. Um, and we're all over the country, but we we, we come together and we <clears throat> we ride our bikes like a hundred miles, like one hundred and twelve miles, and um, wow, and, and all and all the money goes to to to, to Dana Farber for for cancer research. That's amazing, and you—you you just said you had three adopted uh, siblings from yeah. you know, because, and their mom died. Of, so were they? Uh, were how did you know them? And what? what we happened? were yeah, we we were super good family friends. Um, yeah, they they grew up in our town, and uh, their their mom died of breast cancer, super terrible, like two year battle with breast cancer back in the mid nineties. Um, and like our our families got much closer together during oh. that process. And then it's uh, like super, super horrible. But their dad then died two years after that, just very suddenly. Um, so these three kids were very close to us, to our family. And, and my parents stepped up and adopted these, you know, the, the three kids. And they're now my, my siblings. That is an incredible story. Amazing. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's, that's a big part of what shaped me, you know, seeing, seeing death at a young age, and then also, um, you know, seeing my parents step up and, and perform this, you know, really selfless act of service. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's been a wonderful thing now, you know, 20 years on to have to have this 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 giant family of, of amazing people. Um, wow. That's cer certainly pretty, pretty wild thing to live through. That's incredible. It's, it speaks volumes about your parents, obviously. I mean... Um, and you know, you learn by example, right? So it makes sense now why a lot of the things you do, why you do it, right? Like you said, so. Yeah. I mean, part, part wow. of it's, you know, trying to minimize regret if, you know, God willing, I live till I'm, you know, 90, but part of it's also realizing, you know, like Susan, who was the mom died at, I think she was 41 and Joe, the dad died at like 43. So like, I'm, you know, I'm basically that age now close enough. And, uh, you just see like wow like all these things you take for granted can just go super fast 
Absolutely. I know. I, I, I totally agree with that. Um, and so, wow, that was, that's, I, I didn't know that. That's amazing. That's an amazing, just, you know, to your parents. I mean, that just, like I said, speaks such volumes of the character that you, you, you grew up with. So yeah. Amazing. Now, now, I mean, now being a parent also, like I just realized like, wow, like what a, <laughs> what an incredible thing to do. Right. Right. Well, three kids is no joke. I mean, like one kid, I mean, is, yeah. is a lot, you know, like yeah. that's basically like you, you probably, you had an orphanage. How many, how many, uh, biological brothers or sisters do you have? I'm one of four biologically. So there was seven kids in your house. Yes. It was this modern day Brady bunch. We went through like gallons of milk and like <laughs> flocks God. of chickens and, um, yeah, like my, you know, my family probably should have been like buying a herd of cattle at a time. But uh, <laughs> I was going to say, like, what did your parents do for a living? Did they ha that they were like, obviously, they you said you weren't you didn't grow up very wealthy. But what did they do in terms of my jobs? mom's a pediatrician? Oh, okay. Well, that makes more sense. So she's a kid's doctor. That would Yeah, yeah. Okay. Very, like Very nurturing and, um, and also just very mission driven. Uh, and my dad is a, it's a consultant. So he was a in, consultant in the medical space for a oh, long time. Wow. That's amazing. I just, I just have like a whole new respect for you and your family. Amazing. Well, it wasn't me, no. right? I mean, that's all my parents, but, but uh, your par but I, like I, but you grew up in that environment. So you, 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 you basically act as you see, right? Like they, what's that saying, you know, like, don't do as I do, you know, whatever it is, like, don't, you, you, you act by example, you lead yeah, by don't, example. Don't do as I say, do as I do, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and so then, okay, so let's go back to Plated then for a moment. So then what would make you think, you know what, I'm going to start a food company when, you know, from, from everything I've, you know, I'm, I've heard and I've spoken to people like the food industry is like the most difficult, like you were saying, perishable foods, right? Like, what would even give you that idea to even even start that? And then the other part is, I don't know how it was back when you started it, but I feel like there's so many of those uh, food delivery services companies, right? Like it's it feels like it's a saturated business. Was it not saturated at the time? And there, was there a yeah. need when I you mean, started? That, this is a crazy thing. Like now we're almost a decade later, right? So you have to realize, right. and my gosh, tech tech changes so fast. Right. Um, when we were when we were when we first came up with this idea back in early 2012, no one was doing food delivery. I mean, like you had Grubhub and Seamless, and that was it. Um, and Blue Apron was it was Blue Apron no, we, involved. We we were before them. Oh wow! Okay, I didn't realize. Okay. Yeah. So we we were the first American meal kit company, and. Yes, we knew it was going to be hard. I think if we if we knew exactly how hard, we probably would have gone a different way. But right. um, you know, there's something to be said for doing hard things, right? Like, and you hard, like hard, hard things, apparently. I mean, that's what you do. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, I really love this idea of like, look, this is a big challenge. You know, if we can make this work, it's it's going to be financially rewarding and just like a, an amazing you know challenge and experience along the way. Um, I love that in startups, you can move fast, you know, you can just, again, like take your ideas and put them out in the world and very quickly figure out like, is this all just BS or do, do I really have something here? And then what I loved about plated 
uh, is that it was it was it was very mission driven. You know, we loved this idea that we were going to be helping you know potentially millions of Americans eat better and teach them how to cook again. You know, we looked at all the trend data and people were cooking less because uh, it was it was just not convenient. You had to go to the store, right. you had to figure out what to cook. Uh, most people didn't know how to cook, didn't know how to shop, didn't understand ingredients. And we were going to help facilitate all that. Um, and, you know, it started super humbly. You know, my co-founder and me on my kitchen counter, going to the local grocery store, hand delivering orders. And um, it was a long, you know, couple of years of just really slugging it out with with very little to show for it. Um uh, but you know, again, we I, we could we spent a whole podcast probably talking about the, the plated chapter. But, no, but um, it's interesting because I mean, you, did, you you weren't a chef, right? So you you were a guy that did you like to cook? Like, what would give you this? Was it you or your what your partner Josh? I mean, who thought like what was the like what did you just see a need in the market and you thought this is something we should attack and and figure out or. What was yeah. the, was that it or? It yeah. was, I mean, ne- neither of us were, were, you know, quote unquote food guys, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I knew how to like boil water. Uh, I could make a really good ramen, right? I've gotten good since then. No, okay. I wouldn't say good. I've gotten passable. Better, uh, better, <laughs> better, better. Yeah, yeah. better. Um, but no, we saw this, this, this big opportunity. Um, and then, you know, a couple of things had changed structurally. You know, again, this is like 2012, right? So people are starting to use their their mobile phones for commerce, right? Like this is back just when Facebook was starting to really get into their mobile app, and and right. uh, Pinterest was literally just launching. And you know, we saw that food was the number one most shared thing on Pinterest. Instagram was just launching. Oh, right. Um, so, you know, this is it's not that long ago. It's crazy how much I was going to say, it right? wasn't 10 years ago. It was eight years ago, first eight of all. Eight years. I know. That's I mean, not the, iPhone, the iPhone only came out like 11 years ago. You know, it's just amazing how fast things change with technology. So we saw these trend lines of consumers shopping online more and the ability to like trust in online commerce. And we saw that food was this last frontier where you know less than one percent of all food orders were coming online, and we said you know this is this is going to happen, right? This mobile wave is going to enable this, and um, that was that was enough for us to start digging in and doing work. And um, again, really hard slog. We had to build our own fulfillment centers. Just some some crazy war stories you can tell on the treadmill next time, but. Uh, <laughs> we, 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 we were able to grind it out and 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 build a, a, a you know a, a great business that I'm very very proud of. What was the tipping point? Like, how did you? What was the tipping point of the business? Yeah, so I mean, we started in June of 2012, and I would say it didn't really feel like it was working until um, two years later, spring of 2014, uh, and the, the the actual tipping point was going on Shark Tank. Um, we, we, we went on our episode aired and our orders just lit up across the country. And we, we did more revenue the month after we went on shark tank than we had done cumulatively the entire history of the business up to that point. So that really validated for us, like, wow, there's a lot of demand out there. Um, and, and this, you know, people want this and that all, that allowed us to go raise a big chunk of capital to scale up the business. 
So you didn't actually end up doing, or you were going to do a deal on, like, again, this is all just hearsay, right? Because (laughs) otherwise I would read, if you had a book, I would have read it, but you know, you don't have one of those yet. So it's just me like searching online and getting all my info. That's why some of it could be choppy. Um, Like that story about the, uh, that thing about uh, the tsunami. So you, you made a deal said with uh, Mark, Mark Cuban, right? And then at the end of the show, or after all that happened, the deal never went through. And you made a deal with Kevin O'Leary or something. Is that correct? You got it. Yep, that's what happened. Yeah, we did, did a deal on air that you know, when we got to the paperwork phase, it just fell apart with Mark Cuban, um, which happens, you know, no, oh, no it happens bad. All, happens all the time. People yep. don't realize that. It happens probably more often than not. Totally. I mean, agreeing in, in principle to something is great, but you know, the, the devil's definitely in the details. Oh, um, for sure. So, but then almost a year later, nine months later, met, uh, met Mr. Wonderful Kevin O'Leary and uh, reconnected and, and he was excited about what we were building and he, he did the deal then and the rest is history. Well, how did that happen? So like, because I never heard of that happening. So basically, you, do, you the deal with Mark Cuban doesn't go through. You like just whatever you go about your business. And already your business was already kind of just by the visibility of the show, it already kind of started the momentum. Well, the show hadn't aired yet, right? And the thing with Shark Tank that a lot of people don't realize is if you don't get a deal done, your probability of airing goes way down. Oh, yeah. So only okay. only one in two shows that get filmed actually air. At least that's how it was, you know, four or five years ago. So we were we were thinking, oh, you know, crap, like we have this great opportunity to get right. to be on Friday night primetime TV and it's not going to happen. Um, but then we, I, I was doing a, a CNBC piece with Kevin O'Leary in our office and uh, we got to talking afterwards and he said, you know, whatever happened with, with Mark, Did, you know, so we talked through it and he dug in, got excited about where we were and you know, invested, call it, <clears throat> you know, almost nine months after we had filmed the show and after the deal had fallen apart with Mark. And <clears throat> you know, I think he, I think he, I, I don't know if he if he would corroborate this, but I think he pulled a couple of strings to get us to get us on air. And uh, and you know, a few weeks later, we were on Friday night, and you know, site crashed, tens of thousands of people visiting the website simultaneously, and just orders went you know, did, did the hockey stick go vertical thing? Wow. So is he, is he as jerky in real life just as he seems on the show? No, he's, he's a teddy bear. It's all, it's all made for TV. It's all made for TV. Yeah. That's <laughs> a, I, I don't know if I believe you a hundred percent, but you know, just to be PC with you, I'll say, okay, great. Yes. Um, a, a friend of mine did a deal with Mark, uh, not a friend of mine, a friend of a friend did a deal with Mark Cuban recently on, on like on air and off air and her business is like crushing it it's like some like vegan corned beef do you know huh. this cor- do you have you heard of this thing i don't know oh. that this particular company i may i, I don't i haven't seen uh, that one but um the the, you know, the better for you uh meat alternative space is oh, just hot, hot super hot it's been it's it's you know i am not a vegan i don't know are you are you a vegan i've gone i've gone through those chapters or i mean i've experimented with it but uh i'm 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 back to like om- omnivore status <laughs> yes i'm with you on that i mean also you know like 
a lot of these things have a lot of sodium in it. The yeah. these meats. I mean, I'm not a big fan myself. Again, I'm going to get yeah, probably I mean, for sure. You know, vegan me. doesn't necessarily mean healthy, right? Like vegan it, lollipops exactly. and vegan chocolate chip cookies, like uh, exactly I, I, organic, I organic yeah, cookies. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. You know? I definitely try to like limit my meat consumption, though. Yeah. I try to get most of my protein from from you know plant based sources. Right. Okay. Um, I love fish. I have to be honest with you. It's my, oh, I love, my favorite. Uh, yeah, good, good, good salmon for sure. Right. Um, okay. So then let's keep on going. Chrono. So then, then you, you know, you skyrocket and then how did it happen that Albertsons and, and how, by the way, how much did Albertsons actually buy you for? I said over a hundred million, but I think it was probably way more than that. So what was it? I don't like, think I'm technically allowed still to, to, you know, give the exact number, but it would have been, um, if fully realized more than $200 million. Got it. Okay. I'll, I'll accept that as an answer. Yeah, um, you, you can poke around the internet also. There, there's, you know, there's some commentary out there. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I don't understand if I would poke around the internet and get my answer versus just asking you, what's the difference? You're just technically not allowed to say it. Is that, <laughs> I think that's right. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Okay, so I'll just poke around and put it in the show notes. No, I, I'm just I'm just kidding. <laughs> you can you, for, for sure. I can't stop you from doing that. Um, no, so so how did it happen? How did Albertsons become like what happened? How did that kind so, of evolve? So into two, a deal? two things happened in in the spring of 2017 within like two weeks of each other. One is that Blue Apron, which is our closest competitor, mm -hmm. they went public, and then the second thing, which was which really moved the market was that Amazon bought Whole Foods. Mm. So again, that's only three years ago, right? Like, uh, you know, three and a half now, but uh, that really shook the food market. You, you know, publicly yeah. traded grocery stores saw 30% of their market cap erased, you know, in, in a matter of days. Because everyone was like, oh, Amazon's coming for food, groceries done. Right. So that, that basically catalyzed every grocery player out there to have a conversation with us and say, hey, can you know, can, can you be a part of our story for Wall Street around how fast growth, digitally native brand, uh, big data, um, you know, we need to be able to tell that story. Can you help us? So we had a, a bunch of conversations with with people with different with different firms, um, different you know, big grocery retailers, and um, Albertsons got really excited, and it happened very quickly. Um, and it was, you know, a phenomenal, phenomenal outcome for, for a lot of people around the table. Wow. And then, so what happened to it then? They didn't, it's like debunked, isn't it? Like what happened after that? Yeah. So, you know, it's a sad story. And unfortunately, you know, this happens with a lot of acquisitions is we had a, you know, big, big promise of working together. And um, after, you know, Albertsons is a huge company, right? $60 billion company, 3,500 grocery stores, um, over 300,000 employees. Um, Is that and, big? Yeah. I mean, Albertsons owns Safeway, Vons, Acme, Pavilions, Jewel Osco, um, uh, you know, 15 other grocery grocery brands that are uh, you know, all over the country. So they're, they're huge. They're one of the big, big grocery players in the country. Um, so we, we got, we got swallowed up and, and, kind of got lost, unfortunately, which happens a lot of the time. Um, yeah, and you know, I, I, I can't share too much more, um, uh, again, um, for, for, for legal reasons. But uh, yeah, I mean, that, the, the 
ultimately within a couple of years, they ended up shutting down the, the you know, our, our, our e-commerce presence. Um, just kind of like watching your, your, your first child get, you know, get, yeah. get, get left on the curb, but, um, I've come to terms with it. It's, you know, it's all good. But I mean, at the end of the day, though, you walked away with your money, though, right? Like it didn't affect your bottom line. It's just sad to see something like that, that you've worked so hard to build, just kind of uh, dissipate, so to speak. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, again, I don't, don't want to go into too much detail. Um, but uh, yeah, definitely a, 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 sad, a sad, sad end of the story, I would say. Who, who do you think in today, like, because I mean, like we were talking now, the food industry, the food delivery, you know, is such a big market. Who do you think does it really well these days? Well, I think, um, you know, Amazon and Whole Foods, they're, they're really doing a good job. Very, very good integration. Um, you know, that they, they've just executed really, really well. Uh, Instacart also very just very smart execution and, and, you know, consumer centricity and, uh, in, enabling like the shopping of the retail experience in a, in a, in a digitally first way, super, super smart. Then if you get into the food delivery scene, um, you know, like the, the prepared foods, um, you know, obviously we're, we're talking here December 15th and just last week, DoorDash IPO and, you know, they're valued at $70 billion now. Um, you saw they, that. They started after we started Plated. Um, they were part of the Y Combinator class a few few months after after we started. So I don't know about that one. I'm, 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 I'm bearish on, on that one. I think they've got very, very high expectations that they have to deliver on. Um, but, you know, the trend lines are there around people ordering in more, especially during the pandemic. Um, if you can deliver convenience at a, at a reasonable price, people are willing to pay for it. And food is still, uh, you know, something like 10% of the entire economy. So right. there's a lot of opportunity to still do, do food better and, and build better, better business models in, in and around food. But in terms of like, you know, like even every day, I feel like even in my e email, I get like three or four new uh, meal delivery companies that are, I mean, like meal prepared companies, right? Is there any one of those that you think is really good at it? Like Freshly did a really good job. Um, I, I don't know if you've tracked those guys. They, they actually just, they just emailed me today. <laughs> <laughs> they just, they just sold to Nestle. Um, but they did a very good job with, with the business. I mean, these are really hard businesses, right? That's what I I'm mean, saying. It's a super really difficult hard. business. They are. They're really, really hard. Um, I think a lot of a lot of the, the the startups that you see just won't make it. That's just the reality. Um, but if they're if you know for for you as a consumer, if they're subsidized with venture capital dollars and they're willing to give you free meals and uh, and deliver it to you and and you like the food, you know, take advantage of it while it's still there. You know, I wouldn't necessarily go invest in any of them. No, no, exactly. I mean, I just think in terms of how do you keep the quality really high, right? When that when you're doing it such a mass, such a mass level, it's hard. Right? It's really hard. I mean, it's also low margin, right? And right. and perishable. You know, you've got salmon yes. and kale and microgreens coming in from all over the country, and you have to package them and make sure that there's their foods. It's it's hard, hard business. Yeah, it totally is. And then so let's go into hot water, your new project, um, where uh, so when did you say okay, so hot water is a beverage, right? That is like, it's, 
it's it's a non-alcoholic beer, basically with like nootropics. Is that more or less what we're, we're talking about here? Yeah, yeah, more more or less. I mean, ba- basically, we you're here we, to fill in the blanks. Yeah, I'll fill in the for blanks the for you. Yeah. So, so you know, we sold the business in 2017, plated, and then I moved out here to Southern California. And last year, al- you know, almost two years ago now, um, in 2019, I found myself just drinking way too much beer. You know, I was on like a, a between three and five IPA a day diet, which I don't recommend for <laughs> for anyone. And I put on, you know, north of 20 pounds uh, and I was just feeling gross. And, you know, the next morning I was groggy and you know, I've got a six-year-old and a four-year-old and they were shaking me out of bed and it was, it was just like becoming a problem. You know, it's not, it's not cool. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. Um, were you so, like boarding as? Were you boarding on being like an alcoholic a little bit, or just? I don't know if I go. I mean, I th- technically, if you followed like the guidelines, I was having like you know something like thirty to forty drinks a week, right? Which is you wow. know way I think would put me in that range. Um, I definitely had control over it. I could stop, but like I have alcoholism in my family, and <clears throat> at various points, I've said, "Whoa, this is getting." you know, too close to the rail. Um, and I had one of those moments where I was just like, okay, look, dude, you like got to get yourself in, in check here. And I looked out for alternatives because I love that taste of beer. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that celebration of cracking a cold one or three or, or five at the end of the day. <laughs> right? yes. and, um, and I just couldn't find what I wanted. You know, I, I wanted something that was, I'm also, you know, big into fasting. Um, and I wanted something where it was like zero cal, it wasn't going to have a glycemic response. Um, uh, but it was going to make me feel that same feeling of, you know, crack a cold one, uh, and give me that homage to having a beer at the end of the day. And I couldn't find what I, what I wanted and, you know, teamed up with, with my buddy Jordan here in LA, who's been a, a beverage e-commerce executive for, oh. for many, many years. And we, you know, did research and, and both came to the conclusion, look, there's, there's a big opportunity here to, to be the healthy alternative to beer. No one is owning that space. Um, so sitting in between non-alcoholic beer, which is, uh, you know, almost a $10 billion category, it's the fastest growing part of the beer market and um, functional beverages like kombucha or adaptogenic drinks, nootropics mm-hmm. drinks, which is uh, also already several billion dollars and growing double digits every year. We're playing right at that intersection of these two very large industries that are growing super fast. So hop water, we take um, hops, which is what gives beer its beery you know, flavor, take Centennial and Columbus hops, and we brew that into water and we add adaptogens and, and nootropics. So we've created what we think is the healthy alternative to beer. So, you know, whether it's Tuesday, Wednesday, you know, Thursday, you're trying not to drink during the week, or it's dry January, you're trying to go a whole month without drinking, sober October, or, you know, you just want that, you know, beer-ish type experience, uh, but you don't want the calories, you don't want the alcohol, you don't want the gluten, right? We, we, or no, no calories, no alcohol, no gluten. That's what, what hop water delivers on. Um, so we spent a year, uh, you know, formulating the product, getting, getting the, you know, what they call the juice in the industry, getting the juice, right. Building yeah. out the brand. And, uh, and we launched just a couple months ago and, uh, 
it's going super well. I mean, we're, we're really excited about, about what we're seeing. Um, we're starting to go into retail here in Southern California. So we're, we're in Erewhon, you know, that store we were, yeah, of course. Yeah. We, we were there, uh, their number one new beverage last month. Um, wow. You're kidding. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, we definitely found, you know, it's similar to how I felt with plated where it's like, yeah, this is a no brainer, right? Like people want that beer type experience, but they don't want the calories. They don't want the alcohol. They don't want the gluten. And if you could build a, a better for you version of beer, there's, there's a big market for this. So no. that's, that's what we're, that's what we're building. No, I think that's, I think you're accurate. I know there's a lot, I mean, it's most, I would, I would guess mostly men though. Right. Or is there, what's your okay. demo? That's, that's what, um, that's what we thought when we, when we were starting this thing yeah. uh, a year ago. And, um, we had an early advisor who was a woman who said, Hey, you know, don't, don't go too heavy after the dudes. I think there's, there's a, a big opportunity for women. And it turns out women are actually the fastest growing segment of the craft beer market. Really? Yeah. So what we're seeing is actually um, a large chunk of our customer base is women. So I'm I'm curious. Is it because women tend to or typically don't necessarily go for beer because they think it's very bloating? They think there's a lot of you know the gluten, like you were saying, and calories. So at, like if you if you take out all of those things, you you know maybe if you know that's why you have more women now becoming, you know, even though it's not a, a real beer, but kind of gravitating in that direction. Because women yeah, love I kombucha, think, yep, you know, like yep. all those Olipops and Poppy or whatever these other drinks are. I mean, it's just another extension in that, in that space that women actually really do like. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that, that's, that's what we're seeing. You know, uh, the feedback has been great on, on the flavor. We've got Classic, which is uh, more of like a, a pure play homage to to a clean, crisp IPA. We've got mango, which is like really delicious. And, you know, I, I like to say it's like a, a, a surf trip to, to Costa Rica in your mouth. And oh, then, wow. Um, <laughs> and then yeah. got, okay, got, I got to go get one of those. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> then we've got this blood orange, which which I love also. Blood orange is, is awesome. Um, I, I, I like to say that that's a, like if you go to Bend and you take a, a, a Bend, Oregon brewmaster and smash it together with a romp across the Spanish countryside, that's the hop water blood orange. Really? Okay. That sounds like a, that's a very, that's an interesting uh, uh, distinction, <laughs> but I should try that one too. Um, what, and so if, if your people aren't in LA, like if, because era one is a, it's a very high priced uh, grocery store for people who don't know it's a uh, who don't live in LA or maybe New York I think everyone's in New York now too correct they is, haven't is I, I think they, they were planning to launch New York oh, they were pandemic. Okay. they'll probably launch New York uh, maybe maybe next year or year after but yeah just everyone's just LA yeah if folks want to try the product uh, you know it's hop hop wtr we took the vowels out of water so hop wtr.com and uh, we're on Amazon now also, so you can find us there. And um, you can buy buy online. You can buy a variety pack, 12-pack 12, 12 variety pack. You get the classic mango and, and the blood orange. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's I, I really love the product. My fridge is, is, is stocked with it. And we go through, like, you know, over 100 cans a month in, in, in my household. Um, oh, my gosh. What's, yeah. what's, the, what's the price point, though, for people? Uh, three forty nine, and then you know various very you know if you if you order our our thirty plus pack, it comes down below three bucks. 
So where else will you be selling eventually brick and mortar wise? I mean, besides everyone, do you have plans to go to Whole Foods or to be in Albertsons or I mean, wherever, where, where else would you be selling? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we're seeing that this should work all over the country. You know, our, our sales online are, are mapping one to one with, with beer consumption across the country. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're working on, on all that now. That's part of the 2021 plan is to, to scale up retail. Uh, I'm curious, uh, cause now, you know, we're obviously in this whole COVID situation. Um, and, you know, to launch, I mean, even though you've been around for a couple of years, have you, how do you kind of, um, how are you marketing? What are you doing as a startup business to to kind of get to, to gain traction and momentum? Well, I mean, we had the idea in 2019, but we only launched a couple months ago. So it's still very much oh, right. So right, but you've been doing it. You started. You didn't start it during COVID, is what I mean. You were like, well, we had, we came up with the idea pre COVID, but then pretty you know pretty quickly you were in COVID. Yes. Yeah. So we we had to build launch plans for COVID, and it changed. Changed our entire approach really to, to how we were going to build the business. Um, we were originally going to launch retail and, and you know scale retail sooner, mm-hmm. um, but e-commerce has been has been great. I mean that's how we're building building the brand. Uh, you know, a lot of digital advertising, working with influencers on on Instagram and, and other platforms, and um, you know it's 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 working through through that channel that's giving us the confidence to 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 scale and to also figure out hey here are the the other markets around the country where we should go next so um by the way your branding is beautiful i gotta oh, tell you i saw it's a really lot, a lot of time on it yeah yeah it's really nice who did who who did you use is that internal or did you hire uh, we, like a, we, outside? we worked with an amazing woman who who i got to know over the last few years who used to be the uh creative director at chipotle um, oh. and she she runs her own one woman band shop where she pulls in freelancers and she does amazing work um at at you know a fraction of what the big agencies charge so we uh, you know she she was in london when we were doing this project and and jordan and i are, are in la so we were doing you know like 6 a.m pacific time calls to london and it was you know dark there um for a few months but uh it was it was it was uh she did a great job did a really really good job uh so then so you were saying you also do f- these fasts are you do you do intermittent fasting is that what you're going to say or yeah, I mean, I started. Um, I started with intermittent fasting. Okay. Uh, you know, doing you know, call it stop eating at eight p.m. and then you know, don't don't eat anything, don't have any calories until noon the next day. And then as I got more into the research, and you know, you, you've learned a little bit about my psychology at this uh, point. Yes, I, I have. Yes. <laughs> I'm surprised you're not going for 30 days at a time without eating. But that's well. So I mean, I, I didn't go 30, <laughs> but I, 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 I've done now uh, three times a five-day water fast. I. Um, you know what oi means being a Jew, oh, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> oi gavolt. Yeah. Oi gavolt. My, my, my sure. mom has given me plenty of oi gavolts, believe you oi. me. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to be giving them to you too, let me tell you. <laughs> you're, my, you're my surrogate Jewish mom I here. Am, <laughs> I am. Now I am. I, I mean, this is, you know, I don't I get it. I get that it's like huge right now. It's a trend. It's a fa- I think it's a trend. It's like a health hack. I had this woman on uh, my podcast who was extremely knowledgeable, a doctor, um, and who does these fasts. And, you know, 
I I basically did the entire podcast and then all the research before and after, just like with my mouth, like, like I don't get it. Like, how do people go five days on a water fast? It doesn't make sense it's, to me. Like, yeah, doesn't I mean, your body like? How do you know? I thought what happens in starvation mode? You know, like your body like holds on to anything, any calorie. Like, whatever happened to that? Like, the pendulum is swinging one way and then it changes to the next and. And in a year from now, they're going to say, that's awful. You shouldn't be doing it. And okay, that's well, my rant. Go ahead. There's definitely a rant to be had around uh, food science research. And, you know, ev every week there's some new thing claiming that this is the what you should eat or this is what you should not eat or avocados give you cancer or what, whatever, right? Like, oh, gosh. Okay. Yeah. I don't believe that either. Yeah. The science, the, food, the, the, the research and what the media trumpets like you know, is not very not not there, there. There's a lot that's presented very inaccurately. Let's yes. let's say, but as yes. far as fasting goes, the science is pretty hard and uh, hard and fast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry to be funny. Yeah. Um, where you know, basically, the hardest thing for me is that it's it's mentally getting through the first two two days. Because if I can get through that, then what happens is your body starts releasing. Uh, all kinds of serotonin or releases serotonin and human growth hormone. Um, and you just get surged. I have found on day three and beyond with like euphoria, you just feel amazing. And you, you don't feel, you don't actually feel the need to, to eat anymore. Um, and you know, there, there's some research out there where, um, you know, if, if, if you're morbidly obese, you can go months without without eating in a medically yeah. supervised environment right you know the famous yeah. one this guy i think went like 330 days without without eating and lost a couple hundred pounds in a medically supervised fast so it's 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 possible to do that i'm not advocating to do that what i've found is that five days is is, is more than enough for me i've got i've got many friends who've gone two weeks um two fewer weeks who, fewer who've gone three weeks you know, at the at the two to three week mark, you really start doing some damage to your to your to your organs and and, and muscle. But organs. five days, yeah, five five days, no problem. Um, you know, I, 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 you know, from everything that I've read and from the experts I've talked to, nothing but health benefits in that range. Um, uh, and if you think about it, like historically, biologically, if you go back ten thousand years and beyond, you know, humans would would go hunt, right? We'd we'd hunt. We'd, we'd kill something, we'd bring it back to the tribe, we'd feast, and then we'd go in some cases, you know, weeks without eating again. So humans are uniquely biologically adapted to do this, this kind of long-term fasting. No, no other mammal can, can, can do that, not in a, you know, in a non-hibernated state. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I found it, I, I do it less these days because um, it takes a lot, a lot of discipline and, and I find it's also... Uh, with with young girls in the house, I find you know, having to explain why I'm not eating is not the the, the best thing for their uh, you know upbringing. Um, but it's certainly you know if you're at all intrigued, it's worth double clicking and, and doing some some research to figure out if it's something that that fits into you know your own lifestyle and, and you know habit. No, I've talked about this. I, I've talked about it quite a bit, actually, on on this uh, podcast. I've had, like I said, I've had experts come on talk about. It. I've had a lot of different guests who do it, and um, especially just like intermittent fasting. I feel is like become like synonymous with just 
you know, daily diet. I feel like everybody's doing, a lot of people are doing it. You know, personally, I still, I'm having a hard time even doing that because I love breakfast. I love lunch and I love dinner. And, you know, like it's a difficult thing for me to do. However, um, you know, I should try again because whenever I hear whenever I hear people like you talk about, I'm like, maybe I should just try it again. But well, I think I think there are two things also. You know, like one is during COVID, all you know, if you're home all day, it's just like right? no, you know, it's just too much. It's just yeah. too much. But you know, the other side of that is, you know, if you if you look back at like Stoic philosophy and this idea of like taking some some time away from the things you love to make yourself stronger emotionally and physically. I think it's really interesting. Like, you know, in modern life, back to the DoorDash and Amazon Fresh point, like you can literally get anything you want in the world delivered to you with the click of a button. Right? Yeah, almost, absolutely. Almost like within reason. So like taking, you know, a break from food the same way you might take a break from your mobile phone just to reset your brain and and make sure that like, you know, you can go without food for a couple of days if you have to. Or without your phone for a day, um, if you have to. I, I mean, I think there's a lot of positive benefit to to, to oh, doing that periodically. I absolutely agree with you, 100. percent It's just it's mindset, right? It's like you have to just kind of be, you know, get into that place of be co- of commitment and and just and just be disciplined and do it. You know, I. But you're right with being through COVID and being at home all the time and like, you know, also like I said, I have kids too who are who are also seven and five, ex- almost exactly how yours are. And it's, I think it's also difficult because I'm feeding them and there's food around. And it's really about acquiring that discipline of just like not, or, or, or just like, I, I want to have breakfast with them. I want to have dinner with them. I don't want to, totally. you know, I don't want to just sit on the, on the sidelines and Absolutely. like, like, you know what I mean? While they're Absolutely. eating. Right. Yep. And they're like, well, I mean, why aren't you eating that? You know, like what message to my little girl am I sending? You know what I mean? It's I'm, like, I'm 100% on the same page with you. That's why I'm doing, doing less of it now. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah, but exactly. So yeah, that's basically, but I'm going to have to try it. And I maybe when, once we get through this or over this hump, I mean, let's do it together. Whenever, whenever like LA comes back, yeah. let's do this. this would be fun. Let's do this. Whenever okay. we can get back on the treadmills together in a safe way, <laughs> let's do like a 24-hour fast and then go on the treadmills together. Can we do that? Are you able to work out after doing a 24-hour fast? So here's the crazy thing, right? With 24, it's a little sketchy because your your body is still, you know, working off of glucose and glycogen, which is yeah, essentially the like- sugar in your blood and, and that's stored in your liver. Yeah. Once you get beyond three days, you're running off of fat. So when I got to the end of my fourth day, I ended up running like three miles um, in like you sub eight minute miles and felt fine, totally fine. Now, I think if I had done that during my first, you know, before I'd switched into ketosis, burning fat versus, yeah, yeah. versus glucose, it would have been a different story. So maybe, maybe it's not the best idea to do a t- 24 yeah. hour track. <laughs> I was going to say, why don't we just kind of, why don't you ease me in with like, you know, maybe like four days of intermittent, intermittent fasting. Yes. And then like, we can try this other, this other type of fasting, maybe the three day the, to get into ketosis though, is very difficult. People think like what people do a lot of, they blend diets. They're like, I'm going to be ketogenic yeah, and yeah. I'm also going to be, and like, then you're, then you're doing nothing for yourself, you totally. know, to, I mean, I, I was full, you know, off, off the deep end on this 
stuff like you know with the with the the pee strips like peeing at the end of the day to make Shocking. sure i was still in, <laughs> still in ketosis yeah i don't i mean i think all this stuff where you, you take it to the extreme like okay do it to the extreme for learning sake but then you know try and come back and find some more balanced healthy place and, and patch together these learnings around what makes what what works for you right i mean we're all we're all so unique there's no way you could look at some guru and say yeah that's that's the exact way I want to live my life, right? Oh, absolutely. I totally agree. Like it's it's not a one size fits all cookie cutter. And that's the problem right now, right? People read these things like, oh, he's doing it. Oh, Ben Greenfield's doing that. I'm going to do that. Meanwhile, you're like 400 pounds, you haven't exercised ever. And now you're doing, I mean, it's just, it's having some type of, um, you know, I, you've got to be realistic with where you're at and then make things work for who you are and where you're at at that moment. So that's my two cents anyway, but like we all, we all need some of that coming out of this year. Oh my goodness. No kidding. Right. I mean, um, well, you're very interesting. So how do people find more information about you and hop water? Well, hop water, uh, all of it. You tell us, Nick. Yeah. Hop, hop water. Come, come try us out with, you know, and would love feedback, right? We're still a young, young company. Um, and you know, we can only learn by hearing from, from people good and bad. Um, H-O-P-W-T-R uh, dot com or Amazon, uh, holler at us uh, on social. Uh, you can find us there, H-O-P-W-T-R. And then um, I'm out there on the interwebs also, uh, <laughs> Instagram and, 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 and Twitter and whatnot. Um, I, don't, I don't do too much social media, but uh, I'm around or, or, or drop a line through, through Hopwater, just nick at hopwater.com. And um, yeah, that's, yeah that's, that's, that's me. Well, thank you so much for coming on the, the podcast. You're a great guest. Oh, it's so fun to do this with you. And I, I really do want to get, get on the treadmills and we'll go, we'll go round two. Honestly, like anytime. Habits and hustle. Time to get it rolling. Stay up on the grind. Don't stop. Keep it going. Habits and hustle from nothing into something. All out. Hosted by Jennifer Cohen. Visionaries. Tune in. You can get to know them. Be inspired. This is your moment. Excuses. We ain't having that. The Habits and Hustle podcast powered by Habit Nest. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.